My name's Jack. If you don't know me already, I'm part of the staff team here at Christchurch, and it's great to be with you. Um, As we kind of finish off or round off this little section of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at it since September, uh, and we're pausing to kind of move forward into Lent and Lamentations. I've got it on good authority that we might return and do the rest of Matthew 7 at another time. Um, But it feels like quite a nice place for us to land in this part of Scripture before we go into Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations as a book is is a really honest prayer, somebody who has a really honest relationship with God. And here we see Jesus' teaching on prayer. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I mean, it's a big old promise. Like, we read that and we go, really? Like, it, it doesn't quite make sense. But I think it's interesting. I think our culture loves the receiving and the finding and the opening. Uh, but apparently, in the Greek, at least, of this passage, which I, I, I don't speak Greek, so I haven't got authority, um, souls, um, the emphasis isn't on the finding. It isn't on the opening. It isn't on the receiving. And I mean, we can tell because on page 971, the bit in bold is ask, seek, knock. <laughs> it's a bit obvious still for us. But actually, the process is the more important thing. Our culture loves the answer. Our culture loves the outcome. Our culture races. I mean, we'll find it in Lent. Uh, you know, there's Easter eggs in the shops already. Our culture will rush ahead to the solution and the big thumbs up at the end and skips over the awkward bit. Our culture loves the answer, but actually the process is more important. Jesus wants to focus on the asking, on the seeking, and on the knocking. I uh, got engaged last week. There's the elephant in the room. Thank you. The lovely Meg. I love how Meg was clapping. That was fun. Um, But actually, people have hardly asked me, a few have, and I think they're rude, uh, people have hardly asked me whether she said yes. Like, and if you have, thanks. Um, Because actually, that's not what people tend to go. The thing people ask is, oh, how did you ask? Where did you, where did you ask? Where did you, like, the process is a thing that's important. I actually think engagement is maybe the one thing in our whole culture where, for some reason, the process is more important. And here, what I think Jesus is saying, as I was reflecting this week, is it's, it's the process of asking that enabled relationship. Like, I, I knew Meg was going to say yes. Like, we talked about it. <laughs> laughing at me. I, like, we talked about it. She knew I had the ring. Like, I knew it. It was the process that was stressful. And here, in Scripture, actually, I think when it comes to prayer, it's the process of praying that opens us up, that makes us vulnerable. And so I don't necessarily think that Jesus is saying, ask and you will definitely, immediately, certainly receive. I actually think what Jesus is saying is kind of flip it around. He's saying, he's, he's revealing the process that gets you to the outcome. So he's saying, to receive something, ask for it. To find something, look for it. To, to open the door, knock on it, because those who've received have probably asked for it, and those who found have probably been looking for it, and those for whom the door has been opened probably knocked on the door. He's not, he's not giving us a promise, he's giving us a process. He's saying, this is how everybody else has reached this point, so why don't you follow that path too? It's the process of asking and seeking and knocking that enables an outcome. However much we know that God knows our hearts and our wills, asking is part of our relationship with him. 
In staff meeting every week, we read a little bit of scripture, and this week we were reading a part of Malachi that says, return to me and I will return to you. It's us returning to God that turns his face to us. Our questions, our asking, our actions prompt him. It's the, it's the prodigal son turning up on the drive that starts the father running. And actually, the image of fathers and sons, if you look down at the passage, it comes into play today because prayer is intrinsically about relationship. John Mark Comer says that prayer is a back-and-forth conversation with God that comes out of deep relationship. And we know that relationships are dynamic rather than static. We move, we move further away and closer in. And actually, prayer is in the context of relationship. If we go back a slide for me, Ellen, if we rip verses 7 and 8 out of context, we get blank check prayer culture where Jesus goes, do what you want, I don't care. Uh, you know, whatever. Like, it just doesn't work. And I think lots of our issues with prayer come from not understanding or not feeling or not experiencing the relationship with God enough to kind of tap on his shoulder and let him know what our will is. So I'm going to go through three things that I think we struggle to trust or struggle to understand about our relationship with God that maybe prevents us from praying in this, this way that Jesus tells us to in the passage. So firstly, I think we struggle to trust that God is a loving dad, and so we don't ask for things. We struggle to trust that God is a loving dad, and so we don't ask him for things. You know, we go, maybe, maybe God isn't good. Maybe he doesn't have our interests at heart. As soon as anything goes wrong, whether it's little and, like, you get a substitution in your online order and there's not a parking space, or it's something huge, like a mate who's really ill, or, or a relationship that's broken down, we, we forget immediately that God is good. We forget the measures that he went to to have relationship with us. And in his word today, Jesus has said, he tells us to ask. And he tells us to ask. And I think we need to ask with confidence. And I think the reason we can ask with confidence is that God is a loving parent. Jesus points to this parental character of God by appealing to the parents in the crowd in verse 9. And you can imagine the audience participation. I mean, just, just for today, wave at me if you are a parent. So he's, he's, appealing, he's appealing to you lot, and, and he says, who of you lot would give their kids stones when they ask for bread? And the same thing probably happened, which was awkward silence, like, of course not, that's, that's not going to happen. And note that the kids are asking for bread, like, kids ask for stupid things, like, like kids today would probably say, like, they want a unicorn, but they're asking for bread, they're not, they're not saying, like, please give me this ridiculous, stupid thing. It's just bread. It's just a staple. But even with a staple, a wise parent doesn't always say yes. I'm sure if your kid knocked on your door in the middle of the night and said, can I have a slice of bread, you might not immediately say yes. Now, I'm not a parent, um, but I did train to be a teacher. Teachers in the room wave at me. Happy half term. Um, and when I was teaching... You know, maybe, maybe irresponsibly, I was the person in the room that knew best, apparently, which is a bit hilarious. And actually, it would be irresponsible for me to have always said yes to the kids in my care, because, I mean, part of being a teacher, children don't yet have the capacity to know what is good for them. It would be idiotic for me to say yes every single time. And, and they may ask me for something, and I would say no. Like, obviously, you can't kick Billy in the face. And they would hate me and get really cross with me. But me saying no to a bad thing, the reason for me saying no to a bad thing is just as loving and attentive and good as saying yes to something that will benefit them. 
The, the teacher or the parent knows best. And actually note that a response to request to a parent or to a teacher will change depending on the kid. If, if a child over here asks me for help, I might say, no, of course not, you don't need my help. And over here I say, they ask me for help, and I say, yeah, of course. And at different times, you know, this kid asked me for help at the beginning of the lesson, I say, no, definitely not, get on with it. But at the end of the lesson, I, I'm happy to go and help. And, and to the kids, this must seem so unfair. Like, wait, wait, wait. like you're saying different things at different times to different people. Like, you know, it's the, same, it's the same, like, if you're a parent and a kid asks you for a chocolate bar just before dinner, it will be a no, you're going to ruin your tea. But if you ask for a chocolate bar on a Saturday afternoon, it's probably a yes. The parent or, or the teacher knows best, and this asking and receiving comes in the context of a relationship. And in prayer, the same relationship is there, and we, we have to understand that God is a loving dad that just knows more than we do, however hard it is for our culture to push away from the we-know-best we're independent thing. God knows more than we do. And actually, it may just be that we have the wrong motives. James 4, verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The kids in my class or at home don't know that they've got the wrong motives to ask for extra break time or to kick Billy in the face. They just don't know that. But actually, when it comes to prayer, we have to realise that we might not know best. And because prayer is a relationship, we need to be able to see who God is. The best presents I've, I've ever received have been from the people who have known me best. And I'm, as I've said up here before, I'm such a present giver. I love uh, giving presents. I have a spreadsheet. I like listen eagerly when people say things that they want. Louise really wants a Sylvanian family canal boat. She, not that she mentions it all the time, but she really, she really wants one. Like, and I love when a birthday rolls around, giving a gift that shows that I know them really well. And, and that's just a tiny amount of knowledge. It's just a tiny amount of knowledge compared to what God knows about us. I may know that Louise wants a Sylvanian family canal boat, but I'm sure God knows even more about what she wants. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, and it's a good thing that God knows us, because even if we did, in our stupidity, ask for a snake, like is referenced in this passage, he wouldn't give it to us. He's a loving dad who knows us so well, but we still find requests uncomfortable. You know, we don't like asking for help, appearing dependent or being a burden. It's, it's a vulnerable thing. It's, in, in many ways, asking is a risk. Ask and you will receive. But I, I don't want to open my heart to God because he might say no. But we must know that God knows best. He's the perfect father who loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. And he, he went to the greatest lengths to have relationship with us and to show us his love through Jesus. So we, we struggle to trust that God's a loving dad so we don't ask him things. That's like an emotional thing. It's an emotional, it's an attachment thing. The second thing, I think, we struggle to trust that God can actually make a difference so we don't seek him. And this is maybe more intellectual. I mean, can, can God even do what I want him to? We believe that it's not worth seeking God in a situation because he doesn't have the time or the power to sort our tiny problem out. And we think, well, if I just seek other things, God has time to deal with the crises across the world. I'll, I'm, I, like, I'm struggling, but I'll seek my friend's advice and my own strength, and I'll do God a favor but Jesus tells us to seek, and I think we need to seek the right thing. Um, last Monday morning, I came into work, and the lovely Dave T um, charges through those doors and starts looking for Fiona's earring that fell off 
last Sunday evening. And he, he walked in, he went to where he thought it would be, which is about there, and he looked under the chair, and it was there. Done. Seek and you will find. Or the, the one who found it probably went looking. And some of you will have known in the news recently that in Australia, uh, there was a radioactive capsule that went missing, which does sound terrifying. Uh, and it, it, went, it went missing, and it sounds like a huge like, thing that's fallen out of an episode of Doctor Who, but it was a, it was a six millimeter by eight millimeter tube. It was tiny, tiny, tiny. It was lost by a mining company that uses it to measure the density of ore or something. And it was attached to this vehicle, and it fell off somewhere on a 145-mile stretch and they had to go and find it. Tiny, 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 a needle in a haystack. And it took them six days to retrace their steps, and they had these like, scanners to scan for radiation, and eventually, they found it. Seek, and you will find. Seeking takes effort. It's like another step on from asking. And I think we only really seek for one of two reasons, uh, and they're going to come up on the screen. Number one, we seek because we think we'll find the thing. Simple. And number two, we seek because we can't afford to lose the thing. So when Dave went to find Fiona's earring, he was pretty sure it was probably where he left it. And so he went to look for it. It was, it was worth the effort. He's laughing. He maybe, maybe, didn't, maybe he didn't know it was going to be there. Like, I, I've lost a hoodie on the tube before. It's very sad. But to be honest, the tube is complicated, and I didn't start looking. It wasn't worth the effort. I, put, I did a form online, I put a photo in, and I left it. I didn't think I'd find the thing, so it wasn't worth looking. When the Australian authorities went to find this radioactive capsule, it's the second. They didn't know it was going to be easy to find. In fact, they knew it was going to be really hard to find, but they knew they really needed to find it. If someone got within five millimetres, not millimetres, that's different, five metres of this six-millimetre capsule, they would have had sickness and radiation burns and probably a whole lot of insurance stuff to deal with. And so they had to go to whatever length they could to find it. They couldn't afford to lose the thing. And I think this is the exact same with prayer. I think we pray if we believe God will answer our prayers, and we pray if we have nothing left, which is what we're going to start looking at next week in Lamentations. And the truth is we all kind of go far and far and far and don't pray, and then we find we're at a space where we can't afford to lose a thing, where we can't afford to not pray. There's nothing left. And actually, if we got to a place where we believed that prayer worked, we think we'll find the thing, we would pray a whole lot more. Now, the time I pray with the most faith is when I've lost something. It's maybe because it's a tiny miracle to realize that I've lost my wallet in my house, and so I pray that I would find it while I look around my house. Like, it's, like, it's a very, very small thing, but for some reason, that's the th reason, that's the time when I have the most faith. I pray, God, please, 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 I need to find my wallet because I'm late to this thing. And I somehow always immediately find it. And I mean, it's like in science where there's a control experiment. For some reason, my faith doesn't really need testing in that zone because the thing I need to find is really close by, probably. Like, it's down the side of the sofa next to where I was sitting. It's embarrassing. But actually, why do I not have the faith to pray all the time with that level of certainty? Why do I not always think, God is going to answer this prayer, so I will pray for it, and then it happens like it does when I've lost my keys? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? That's what Jesus says after doing, delivering a massive burn and calling them all evil. Jesus is like, do you even know him? Do you even know him? And, and the thing is, he's telling us to seek, and who is it that Scripture tells us a time and time again it's him and his kingdom. There's, a, there's 
only a few on the screen that will go up now. This is Psalm 27. You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Psalm 34, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord like no good thing. Psalm 105, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 119, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And then Matthew 6, we looked at it before Christmas, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is who scripture tells us to seek. It tells us to seek him. And we we so often seek ourselves in our own strength, our own power. I I think we all have a God-shaped hole in our life that we try and just mash anything we can into. I'll seek this, I'll seek this. This will work, this will fill me up. This will make me feel better. And it never does. St. Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We need to seek him. And when we think, I don't know if God can make a difference, Jesus calls us to seek him and to seek him first. So we struggle to trust that God's a loving dad so we don't ask him things. We, we struggle to trust that God can even make a difference so we don't seek him. And finally, I think this is, this is maybe the trickiest one, where the first is emotional, the second is theological, this is experiential. We struggle to trust because it feels like God hasn't done it before, so we just stop knocking. Like we know that it says in God's word that he will answer our prayers, but this isn't our lived reality. And there's a two verse on the screen, Ellen, it would be lovely, thank you. Matthew 18, 19 to 20. You know, two of you on earth agree about anything. They ask for it, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Mark 11, 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Like, this is what God's word says. This is the promise we have. But our lived reality is that prayer, at least for us, doesn't feel like it always works. And we can't just pretend that it does. But we have to step into the image that Jesus gives us here. What what is the image that Jesus presents? He's anticipating one thing and one thing alone. And that one thing is a closed door. We wouldn't knock if the door was already open. Like, I feel like we, we hear knock and the door will be opened and we forget. Like, actually, there's already a sense of resistance here. We wouldn't knock if the door was already open. But he also doesn't say, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, smash a window in, get out a crowbar and let yourself in the back. We wouldn't knock if the door was open. Jesus is anticipating a closed door, but we knock because we can get in. The door can be opened. God can answer our prayers, even if he hasn't before, even if it just feels like he hasn't. And the resistance is there with all three of these these things. Sometimes we ask and we just don't receive. Sometimes we seek and we don't find the hoodie we've left on the tube. Jesus tells us to knock, and I think we need to knock with perseverance. There's one man in Winchester who I genuinely thinks doesn't like me very much. There might be more than one, but there's there's at least one I know of. Yeah, come and let me know at the end. And this man is the every delivery driver who brings things to my house if I've ordered a parcel. Um, and I'm hardly ever in. I'm, I'm, I'm here quite a lot. And it doesn't help me that, you know, every won't let me choose my slots or anything, but I won't make this a TripAdvisor review. He must knock on my door, the same guy, every time so often, and I'm just not there. And I, and I know that because whenever I am there and I answer the door, his eyes are filled with rage, like, how dare you? <laughs> and I just wonder at what point... 
Will he stand at my door and go to knock? And he goes, oh, I'll just knock, but he's not going to answer. He's, ne- he's not been here before. Like, it's not even probably worth bothering. At what point does he stand with the parcel and go, lights aren't on? I'll just get back in the van. At what, at what point does he sit in the van at his last place and just go, do you know what? I know this guy. I've seen this address before. I'm not even going to bother going. At what point does he just think, he probably isn't in, he's never been in before, I'm not going to turn up. If God's let us down before, we think, we'll probably, we think he'll probably do it again. If that door has never opened, if there's never been someone behind it, why would we knock? But Jesus tells us to knock. And I think the reason Jesus tells us to knock is because we have to remember that God has done so much for us even before what we feel and what we ask. In the, in the Old Testament, so many times, God says to his people, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who delivered you out of Egypt. He reminds his people of what he's already done. And, and we have so much more because we can remember what God has already done through Jesus And Jesus himself experienced unanswered prayer. He experienced at least that resistance where he asked God for something and didn't get it. You know, in Gethsemane, he's kneeling and he's sweating drops of blood and he's saying, God, I don't want to go through this. But he still ends, not my will, but yours be done. This doesn't take away from his prayer. I think often we pray tentative prayers. I remember at camp once, I was praying for healing and my friend Lol uh, laughed so much at me because I prayed and I prayed God, I pray that you would heal this person of whatever it was. I can't remember. That's bad, isn't it? That you'd heal them of whatever it was. But if you don't, um, lots of peace. And I hope they feel better like soon, like in the next few days. And Lola was wetting herself because I obviously just had zero faith. Like, I, didn't, I obviously didn't think God was going to do anything. I obviously didn't think that if I knocked, the door would be opened. And so I was praying with no confidence. We need to ask with confidence and seek the right thing and knock with perseverance. We knock because the door can open and behind that door is a loving father who can make a difference, a good dad. And so as we land and we kind of, yeah, almost close a door on this part of scripture that ends, you know, in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's not risk missing out on what Jesus wants to do. Let's open ourselves up to the risk of knocking and having no answer, seeking and not finding, asking and receiving silence, because if we get used to just not doing these things, then we won't ever get the outcome, because it's the one who was asking that gets the answer. It's the one who was looking that finds the thing. It's the one who was knocking to which the door was opened. And I'd love to invite the band up because I think it's a risk. This stuff is a risk. But when we take a risk in prayer, we're almost saying that we trust you, Jesus, this much. We trust you this much. Again, this this reading in Malachi that we looked at in staff meeting this week uh, was talking about giving and finances and, and God says through Malachi, test me in this. And, we, and he was talking about finances there. But actually, I think we can do this in prayer. Let's say, God, actually, we're going to rely on you. We're going to lean on you. And we're going we're to hope and pray that you're going to catch me. I'm not going to spend my time rushing around trying to sort the problem out myself and seeking my own will and my own strength. 
I'm going to spend my time just asking you and seeking you and knocking on the door of your kingdom. And so I'd love us to stand um, and I would love to pray for us. And I guess the first thing I'd love us to just think about is I'd love you to just think, if, if you knew right now that this, this promise, this ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you, this, all these wills, if you knew that was going to happen right now, what would you ask? What would you ask God for? What would you look for? Where would you be knocking? I'd love us to just close our eyes and just imagine what that question would be.